Green, Green Left Weekly, Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to Green Left Radio, and your presenters today are myself, Jacob, and... And me, Chloe. Good morning. So, good morning, everyone. Um, now, before I go announce, because we actually... We, this is going to be quite a special program today. Um, it is going to be part of the International Day of People with Disability, which is actually held on the 3rd of December each year. Um, the International Day of disability is a United Nations observed day aiming and aimed at increasing public awareness, understanding and acceptance um, of people with disabilities. Now, before I go into what we have lined up for our program today, which is part of Grounding Disability Justice, which is the special FreeCR 12-hour broadcast that will be um, airing to you from the broadcast from FreeCR. So if you look on the FreeCR website, you can see a full grid of what's been coming up, what's coming up. Now, before I would like to acknowledge that FreeCR and Green Left Radio is being broadcast to you from the Wandry land of the Kulin Nation. We like to acknowledge that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land and that sovereignty has never been ceded. Now, for to give to give a bit of an um, introduction to I guess the program, as I kind of as I noted kind of before. Um, Green Left Radio and FreeCR um, in this is going to be is participating in the International Day of People with Disability, and so one the special kind of theme for this kind of broad for that FreeCR is called this broadcast is grounding disability justice. And for Green Left Radio's kind of contribution to this, we have a number of guests kind of lined up for our program. We have an interview with um, Ali Scott, who is um, part of the Disability Resources Centre, and about the about the about the campaign around public transport for all, which is campaigning for better accessibility and public transport. And one of the kind of main themes that we are going to be exploring in this program is the nat- is the nature is unvaluing and critiquing the privatized nature on corporatization of the NDIS. Now, since the in- introduction of the NDIS, they have there have been kind of um, improvements, but there's kind of still plenty of work to do on a basic access, accountability, and meeting the needs of the disability community. So. Uh, interview that we're a special interview that we're going to be doing is um, which relates to this is we're going to be doing um, an interview with Graham Matthews, who is a participant in the NDIS. He is also the Social Science spokesperson for disability rights and is also a, freak, a very frequent commentator on NDIS and economic matters for Green Left. So yeah, we're going to be very happy to um, interview him and he'll be we'll be interviewing him um, starting uh, at 7:30 a.m. Um, for our program. Now, I guess before we can get into some of the um, some um, some of the guests um, guests we have a program because um, uh, maybe I'll get Chloe to kind of start off a bit of discussion. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe covering some of the 
recent kind of news um, that relates to um, issues of disability and, and so on. So, yeah, I'll pass it on to Chloe. Oh, thanks, Jacob. Um, yeah, maybe we'll just uh, start off this very special um, segment with a few news articles. And we were thinking of um, maybe drawing your attention to an article in the ABC by Emma Myers, and it's called Disability Advocates Worried Religious Discrimination Bill Will Lead to More Discrimination in Australia, Not Less. And it features Fiona Strahan from Disability Voices Tasmania, and she speaks about her experiences, um, you know, about the fact that people with disability often experience ridicule, offensive assumptions, bias and intimidation, and it doesn't matter... Um, whether this arises from hate, prejudice, misguided assumptions and attitudes towards disability uh, or one person's interpretation of religious belief. And this bill... um, is is it was tabled in Parliament last Thursday by Prime Minister Scott Morrison, and it is the third version of a law promised by the coalition government during the same-sex um, marriage debate. And yeah, I guess you know we we should you know actually remember where this bill first of all came from. It you know didn't arise from some kind of oppression, um, like trying to combat Islamophobia, which is a real problem here. This is a religious bigotry bill. And it came off as part of the the backlash against the marriage equality campaign by Scott Morrison, who really sold this, um, well, both major parties sold this false narrative of silent homophobic majority to push their agendas. But it was really a a reactionary um, minority within government who were just, you know, who are legislating for religious protection laws that actually give more power and uh, more rights to religious institutions so they can discriminate against people based on sexuality and also people on disabilities. So, you know, disability advocates are right to worry about the religious discrimination bill or, you know, the the um, the, big, the religious bigotry bill. Um, it will lead to more discrimination in Australia. And even the the name of the bill, it's misleading, Um you know, it, it, in the United States, it's called the Religious Freedom Bill. It just sounds like something good, but it's not. Um, and it does, it can override some of the existing legal protections that were fought for in the Disability Discrimination Act in 1992, which could mean people with disabilities um, who are, you know, discriminated against will have to fight it out in federal court if they want to challenge subjective statements of religious beliefs, um, this would be very expensive and time-consuming. For example, it would override a Tasmanian law that provides protection against offensive conduct on the basis of protected attributes like sex, race, disability or sexuality. Uh, And one of the biggest uh, proportion of complaints under the section of the Tasmanian uh, Anti-Discrimination Act being targeted by the federal bill is from people with disability. you know, it's it's um it's a real worry. You know, an employer at a school, a hospital, aged care provider that is a faith based employer, um, based on their religious belief, they could probably discriminate against um employees with disabilities. Uh, you know, in the name of religion, someone could probably go up to a person with disability, uh, say this person is in a wheelchair, someone could advise them that if they pray, uh, they might be able to walk again, or they may consider their disability to be a punishment from God, um, which is very insulting and degrading to anyone living with disability. And it is discrimination. And, you know, it can supposedly be dished out 
in the name of God. Uh, I, I guess I should add strangely, um, if a person who is in a wheelchair happens to be someone of faith, it can be just as horrible for them to hear that abuse because not all people of faith uh, or religious people go around insulting people. Um, but the Religious Discrimination Bill allows for those who would. Uh, so this bill really does put freedom of religion ahead of freedom from discrimination. Um, mm. Yeah, did you have anything to, to maybe add, Jacob? Well, to, I think to kind of add to that kind of point is, I mean, just to kind of make it kind of clear, I mean, mm. really um, for the kind of Morrison kind of government and, and in terms of the kind of intention this bill, because I think you know, our kind of position is, you know, we think everyone should have the freedom to be able to express mm. their religious beliefs um, regardless. But yeah. one of the, I think one of the things that the Morrison government is kind of pushing on this, and this has been a feature of the religious right, it's not necessarily ju about religion. Mm. It's in yeah. a sense, basically, them wanting to kind of justify bigotry and discrimination in the name of religion. So I think yes, that's a, yeah. I think that's kind of probably an important kind of distinction to make because yeah, we, we don't, it's not, it's not that being religious is in, inherently makes you discriminatory. It's in the, when it's in the hands of, you know, political leaders um, mm. who are clearly wanting to use religion to um, justify kind of discrimination, and then use uh, and then use the the cover of religion to protect. Because essentially, you know, Morrison was sort of talking about Morrison kind of report was sort of talking about you know we have to deal with the issues of cancel culture, mm. so to speak. <clears throat> yeah, it is a it is a bill that really divides people. Um, it, and there was a there's a person in that article named Liam York that does point out uh, he's a gender diverse queer uh, man from Newcastle and he he does think this bill passing will be frightening and he puts it quite well I thought he said that the rollback of communities um, it is a rollback of the communities that we work so hard for and you know he thinks that those freedoms um, that are proposed in this bill already exist so you know people are allowed to have these views and talk about them. Um, they don't really need to be on a public platform where it's going to make people feel unsafe um, to be themselves and be out in the community. All right. Um, so I might just, um, I was thinking that maybe one other news story I thought we would um, just kind of point out before we play our first interview for the program um, for, as part of our special um, grounding disability justice um, program, I'd like. I just wanted to go point people's attention to, I guess, another news story. And while this is not necessarily completely kind of relevant to Victoria, since this is affecting um, states outside Victoria, mm -hmm. it, this is actually the issue of accessibility of buildings is actually an ongoing issue for people of disabilities, and. There's a bit of a there's a bit of a news story that um, came up a, a few a few weeks ago, and this was kind of printed in the Guardian. And essentially, accessible housing disabled people are left behind by a shameful building code stance in New South Wales, WA, and SA, South Australia. So essentially, there's um, people with disabilities are being left behind in three major states after governments have failed to make minimum accessibility standards mandatory for, for new houses. And this is what's um, being quoted by disability advocates. New South Wales, um, Western Australia and South Ac Australia say they will opt out of clauses in the forthcoming revised National Construction Code that will require all new buildings to have basic accessibility features, such as at least one step free entrance, a tall 
toilet on the entry level and reinforced walls in the in the bathroom. And I think, you know, taking this kind of more broadly, this is actually mm. just, you know, the fact that the majority of a lot, a lot of, the majority of buildings, especially old kind of buildings, yeah. are not made at all with kind of accessibility in mind for people with disabilities. I think it's just a kind of shameful kind of example of kind of like the ableism that kind of exists in everyday society and and under capitalism. And and a base and essentially, you know, there's a, these features and others such as walk-in shower recesses and wider door frames and and corridors to facilitate ease of movement were added to the NCC earlier this year after a push from advocates highlighting the difficulties people with disabilities f- have in finding homes that meet their basic needs. And of course, the cl- the clauses um the clauses mandate that all new homes adhere to a silver level accessibility standards as described by Liverpool Housing Australia, which advocates say make houses more livable for people with and without disabilities. And now the good thing is probably the other states um, have actually, sorry, I think I presume that includes Victoria, have kind of agreed to implement these new standards as part of their building legislation. But New South Wales, WA and SA, South Australia have elected to kind of opt out. Opt out. So I think, yeah, that's just, I think, just a big good event. But I mean, the positive news is, given that our program's in um, Victoria, that, you know, at least within Victoria, there is some level of commitment to to these kind of building standards. Yeah, well, um, I mean, that, that that is true. But I just on a personal note, recently my mum was looking for a home to rent and my grandma who lives with her, she can walk um, perfectly well and everything. I mean, she wouldn't be considered someone who has a disability, but, you know, she is getting older and it can be taxing to walk up and downstairs every time she needs to use the bathroom or access mm. her bedroom. And my mum really struggled to find, um, you know, affordable and, and accessible home to rent here in Victoria. We found that there are so many of these new townhouses um, built for investment purposes. Lots of them are vacant, actually. Mm. And they can typically be cheaper to rent, but... Um, if it's like not in a city, but they're double story and um, hardly any of them have, we found they didn't, they didn't have bathrooms or toilets downstairs or bedrooms on the ground floor. And the banister um, is purposely like missing in one of the sections of the staircase, which can be really dangerous. So even though here in Victoria, um, we've not opted out of these clauses that are meant to protect people with disabilities. Um, it's a good example how under capitalism homes are not really being built for human need. Um, they're being built for profit. So, you know, there's no drive to make houses more livable for people. And I think it's just on a final note, I think it's pretty bad that the New South Wales uh, Minister for Innovation and Better Regulation, Kevin Anderson, he defended the lack of support for inclusion um, of the minimum accessibility standards, saying the changes would have negative impacts on the housing affordability and that the construction sector um, will also come at a significant cost to the compu- community. That's, um, that's a ridiculous thing to say because it's, that's not the reason housing is so unaffordable for ordinary people. It's not because we're implementing these standards um, that are necessary. It's because of things like wage growth, um, remaining stagnant, the rising levels of inequality, developers and landlords working together and um, yeah, privatising these publicly owned, um, you know, land and, you know, making sure that housing is not a basic right for all, which is, um, you know, but only for those who can actually afford it and willing to get, um, 
you know, willing to do the renovations, which can be really expensive. Um, if you're someone who has a disability and has to spend all that money on renovating a, a new house, um, it can really, yeah, it can just, it can break the bank, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, um, Chloe. And um, I think we might just go move on to playing a quick announcement and then we'll play our first um, um, interview for the program, um, which I pre-recorded yesterday. And I'll give a bit of an introduction to it um, after after this announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855am on freecr.org.au. Have you heard of long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type long COVID as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hell. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. All right, you are listening to Green Left Radio. And as part of our special grounding disability justice program, um, and we are we're going to be playing an interview with um, Ali Scott, which I recorded um, yesterday. Um, Ali Scott is the campaign coordinator for the Disability Resources Centre. And I recorded this interview to have a bit of a chat with her about the Public Transport for All campaign, which is about... In, in improving the accessibility of public transport um, and so on. So, yeah, very important issue in terms of disability justice. So I'll play the interview um, now. You're listening to Green Left Radio. You are listening to Green Left Radio. As part of our program on grounding disability justice, we are very happy to be interviewing Ali Scott. Ali is the Campaign Coordinator for the Disability Resources Centre. The DRC is a Melbourne-based advocacy and campaigning organisation run by and for people with disabilities. A public transport that everyone can use has been something that um, DRC um, has been, members have been lobbying for over 40 years now. So yeah, we look forward to having a discussion with Ali. You're listening to Green Left Radio. So... Um, asking the first question, 
Accessibility issues has always been, from my perspective, an observed issue in our public transport system. For example, where I live in Brunswick, there's hardly any accessible tram platforms, and most of the time, accessibility stops once you get past the CBD. What can you tell us about some of the challenges that people with disabilities face when it comes to accessing our current public transport system? Sure. We all know that public transport was devised around this idea that you could hop on and hop off. But today, our needs as a community are so diverse and what we have is no longer suitable. You will know that a few months ago, the Victorian Auditor General produced a very thorough report into the accessibility of the Melbourne um, tram network. And, um, and they concluded that the tram system was only 15% accessible, 1-5%. And if you think that accessibility here represents when a low floor tram meets a level access stop. Now, that is a very, very low rate of being able to board a tram. And really, disability is not just about wheelchair users. It's also the needs of people who have other mobility issues. They might have energy management conditions, people with sensory disabilities, many of our elders, people with mental health issues who need to feel safe. All of these people need a reliable, affordable transport, public transport system. And um, it is really failing a great number of our Victorians at the moment. And it's estimated that one in two Victorians um, will need accessible public transport at some point in their life. There's a huge swathe of demographic for whom using public transport at all is just not viable. And of course, for these people, cabs are scarce and expensive. So for instance, if you live in the regions, we know that people sometimes have to book cabs up to two weeks in advance to make sure they can get one. And here, for instance, we have one of our team members who lives in North Melbourne, probably not far from, from Brunswick, and travels into the CBD. When she does that, even taking out the cab subsidy, she is out of pocket by $99 a day. So cabs are not an alternative. So what this means is that people aren't travelling at all. And I guess, um, thanks for that, Ali. And the next um, question is, the Disability Resources Centre has done a lot of ongoing work on this issue. What can you tell us about some of the solutions that you, could, you think could be implemented to improve accessibility for our public transport system? Thank you. So, in 2002, so that's nearly 20 years ago, the disability standard set out what is meant by accessibility. It basically outlined how transport providers needed to change what they were offering in order for it to meet the needs of everyone. So that includes a whole range of things from having accessible carriage on every train service to having um, a ramp at, at a level at which people can traverse it without assistance. So bear in mind, this is about the important thing here is independent travel, being able to travel without somebody to support or assist. 
the, the idea laid out in the standards was that the government would complete all of this work by the end of 2022. So we would have an interest infrastructure that was 100% accessible. That has just not been done. It has not been a priority for our government. As you've heard, the tram system is 15% accessible. So for, for successive governments, this thing has just swept under the carpet. And now we're a few months away from this deadline. And what we're saying is, please, let's make this a priority right now. So we want to, the, the government to prioritise this over other systemic work, especially as the um, patronage for public transport is so low right now and is expected to be low because of COVID for the next 18 months. So it's an ideal time in which to do that work. And um, that's a good response. And I guess, what can you tell us about um, your public transport for all campaign? And I guess, what can you tell us about your strategy to achieve change? And I guess, what are some of the demands that you're putting to the state government? Okay. So the Transport for All campaign is gathering other organisations and individual campaigners together who all want to make it very clear that we must draw a line in the sand, that we must start progressing these infrastructure changes. We must start rebuilding the network so that everybody can use our trams, our trains and our buses. There's also a big need for, as I've said before, our elders to be able to travel to trams and buses. So there's a, there's a huge need and we're building cross, a cross-sector um, coalition that we would love everybody to join so that we can finally make this government pledge the sums that we need to see the infrastructure changes. So if you, if you, if you relate to this at all, you may not be somebody who has um, mobility issues or the need to feel safe on public transport. You may be someone who's cared for someone who does or whose parent is, is at that point where they're feeling uncomfortable using public transport. Please, please, please join with us. Go to drc.org.au and find the campaigns page and sign up to join with us. And we'll let you know because in, the, in, in next year, we're going to start the early part of next year. We'll be revving up for a huge campaign to try and bring an end to segregated public transport. Because all we want for Christmas is to be able to get to where we want to get to and engage in the community as much as everybody else. All right. Well, um, the next question I was kind of going to ask, um, has you kind of answered, I guess, already. Um, and I guess maybe I, I think the, I wanted to kind of hear, uh, do you have any final comments that you kind of like to make because um, you've given a good overview of the campaign and I guess how people can involve. So any final mm. comments you'd like to make? Okay, let me just think for a moment something we haven't said. I think the thing that is so often hard to understand is just how crucial public transport is, what a significant role it plays in all of our ability to engage fully in life and everything it has to offer. And over the last two years, we've all experienced lockdown. We've all experienced what it's like to only be able to walk 
from your doorstep and not be able to go further than that. And I think this is this is really a campaign that I think so many people could empathise with in a way that we never could before. And so I think that's one reason why I feel really hopeful that we can all join together and move forward into a more optimistic and fully inclusive era of transport, which, of course, is incredibly important for environmental reasons as well. All right. Well, thank you very much, um, Ali, and um, I'd like to wish you, um, in fact, we will actively try to support um, and give as much profile to your campaign as much as possible um, for on our on our kind of program. And yeah, we wish you all the best in terms of, you know, this campaign. I definitely think this is an ongoing kind of issue with public transport and it's always striking, you know, we have these new accessible trams, but most of the platforms aren't even accessible in most of the parts of the of Melbourne, um, as I kind of referred in my last comment. You know, it seems to me that accessibility ends as soon as you leave um, the, um, the CBD. So thank you very much, um, Ali. It's a great pleasure. Thank you for having, having me, and you're absolutely right. Get your Radical summer attire sorted. New stock of 3CR Radical Radio tees has just landed, featuring the iconic antenna design by artist Emily Floyd. As well as our basic black, we have a range of great pastel and primary colours in a variety of sizes. And for those radical little people, we have a short run of kids' tees available too. For just $30 for adults or $20 for kids, you can get yourself a local, ethically manufactured and printed tea that supports Radical Community Radio. We can send one out in the post and there's Click and Collect from our studios at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or if you're fully vaxxed, you can drop in and browse our t-shirt rack during business hours. To purchase online, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at this station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20. Right, you're listening to Green Left um, Radio, and um, we'll just have we just had an interview with um, Ali um, Scott, and now we're going to be popping moving on to our next uh, main interview for the program um, with Graham Matthews. Now, Graham Matthews is a participant in the NDIS, and he's also the Socialist Alliance spokesperson for disability rights, and is also a very frequent commentator on. Um, and on the NDIS and economic matters for Green Left. So, good morning, Graham. Oh, good morning, Jacob. How are you? Oh, yeah, pretty good. So, I was going to pass it on to Chloe to kind of ask kind of like the first question to kind of start off our kind of discussion. 
Hi, Graham. Chloe here. Thanks for being on the show. It's a pleasure, Chloe. Uh, so, Graham, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, the NDIS, uh, which was first launched in 2013, uh, promised that it would support a better life for hundreds of thousands of people with a significant and permanent disability and their families and carers. And it was delivered with the promise of peace of mind for every Australian and anyone who has or might acquire a disability. Um, Graham, do you think that the NDIS has lived up to that promise to support the needs of people with disabilities, their families and carers since um, it's launched back in 2013? It's a very good question. Uh, the, the aims and the objectives of NDIS are quite laudable. Uh, they're, they're very commendable in many senses in terms of, um, as you say, trying to get peace of mind to any person, at least an Australian citizen, uh, who has or may acquire a disability that they'll be supported throughout their life. Now, NDIS was launched in 2013, as you say. Largely, um, uh, a number of trials were launched in the, uh, in the Hunter and Newcastle and so forth. Even as far back as that, uh, the cracks in the system uh, began to emerge, particularly uh, in terms of the complete deregulation of um, uh, pricing for NDIS. So really trying to, even at that very early stage, place a cap on the expenditure uh, required from the government, by this Liberal government, uh, for NDIS and really try to clamp down on the cost of, um, of, of providing people with disability. It was launched, it's been a, something of a staggered launch, depending on the state you're in. In New South Wales, uh, it was launched in 2016, certainly for new participants, uh, which is how I encountered NDIS. I um, am a sepsis survivor. Uh, just over five years ago, I um, uh, contracted uh, double pneumonia, which led to um, uh, sepsis and then septic shock. Uh, I spent uh, three weeks in a coma, um, woke up and uh, went through um, a, a number of um, uh, amputation operations. So I've lost my legs and my fingers. Um, and that's not an entirely uncommon situation. Now, I suppose um, one of the big difficulties with NDIS is its intense secrecy. Every participant's plan is secret. Uh, in as much as it's not published anywhere online, even even general um, general uh, trends or indeed um, you know benchmarks, and, and that's a term that NDIS like to use, um, or a general idea of um, uh, how much each participant is actually um, receiving, uh, depending on their their, their situation, um, and that secrecy. Um, creates all kinds of difficulties for each participant as they try to negotiate uh, quite individually with NDIS um, and, and can lead to a number of um, significant, significant problems. It's also worth pointing out that the estimate is that there are approximately 4 million people in Australia who are living with disability on this uh, International Day for People with Disability. That's something to really reflect on. That's almost one in six of the Australian resident population are living with disability. Yet the number of people uh, who are covered by NDIS is barely a tenth of that. 
uh, at around about 400,000. And having known that, this is not a figure, it's not like um, the numbers of people with disability have somehow climbed uh, unsustainably over the last um, two or three years. The numbers of people with disability have remained fairly stable uh, through for a number of years now. So it's extremely... Um, it's extremely unsupportable, I suppose, of the government to claim that all of a sudden they've realised or they, they claim they've realised that NDIS is unsustainable and that, in fact, um, uh, people like myself, who are um, you know, really quite profoundly disabled, are uh, using NDIS, certainly as the Minister for NDIS um, chooses to try to claim at the moment, um, as a welfare source, uh, and that uh, this needs to be clamped down on. Um, this kind of appeal to the to the basest element of the uh, the, the LNP supporters um, needs to be strongly resisted, not only by people with disability and their supporters, but anybody who stands up for a just society. <laughs> so to try to draw together those threads and answer your question, okay. NDIS was definitely an improvement. It's definitely a positive step. Uh, however, it's an incomplete and um, insufficient step and something which needs radical reform uh, to really, um, to, 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 to really uh, uh, bring to life the expectations that it created among people with disability when it was launched in 2013. Yeah, so that, that kind of goes into kind of guess the next question, Graham. I guess one kind of critique, a frequent kind of critique of the NDIS is that it had essentially kind of privatised and corporatised what is considered an essential service for servicing the needs of people with disabilities. And I guess, can you guess, unpack that, I guess, in especially you referenced the um, Liberal government as well, especially in the context of you know, how have different governments over the years since 2013 have supported and not supported um, the NDIS? Uh, so it's pretty much... Uh, I'm not exactly sure in which month uh, NDIS was launched in 2013, but as I said, it was very much launched as a, uh, as a trial uh, back then with, with rollout really only beginning for um, most new participants in 2016 and then even later for um, existing participants transitioning from existing state-based systems. <coughs> Excuse me. There have been... It is worth pointing out that, that many people uh, who live with disability have found that NDIS has opened up um, a new chapter of their lives, which in many cases they could never have hoped to uh, have achieved. Um, NDIS has, uh, by a focus on individual assessment and uh, providing for the needs of the individual, um, it has, in some cases at least, uh, provided for um, additional funding or additional support uh, to be, for, for people with disability um, to, to be able to live their lives um, as freely as possible. That being said, um, as you say, NDIS is predicated on a privatised um, for-profit system. Um, so it's a government subsidy to private providers, um, most of whom are business-oriented, so in the sense that they are for-profit, um, to provide for the needs of uh, persons with disability. 
Now, at the extreme end of that, we've seen, and certainly the mainstream media loves to tell us about the number of rorts uh, that have occurred uh, from NBIS providers where um, unscrupulous providers have um, manipulated or indeed uh, defrauded uh, NDIS participants. You know, we have stories of um, luxury cars and gold bars and so forth being used, being bought with NDIS funds. That's a very small proportion of uh, where the NDIS funds are going. Nevertheless, a large proportion are going to some enormous um, businesses, that, um, particularly those that run uh, personal care uh, organisations, um, again, private businesses, but, um, and that, um, you know, provide... Uh, they may well provide some level of service for... Um, uh, NDIS participants, but in many cases the uh, the driving force is really maximising the return for shareholders. And really, the funding of people with a disability, uh, the purpose of that should be to support the needs of people with disability and not to uh, maximise the profits of, um, uh, of large corporations. Now, the Socialist Alliance, of which I'm a member, um, advocates, uh, certainly we, we, we understand the gains that have been made by NDIS, and, but we advocate that um, uh, private for-profit companies should not receive government funding uh, for NDIS. Nevertheless, that should go to community-based uh, organisations, um, whether it be you know, charitable organisations or, um, or other community-based organisations that serve the needs of people with disability. There were gains. Now, I, I, I can't speak from experience because, um, uh, you know, ironically, I was very lucky in the sense that when I acquired my disability, uh, NDIS was there. So I was a participant before I left hospital in 2017. Nevertheless, those who were um, living with disability prior to that say that the state-based system was very limited and quite inflexible in the support that it would uh, actually garner and uh, guarantee for um, uh, people with disability. And certainly from quite bitter experience of the underfunded and often exceedingly bureaucratic uh, state-based health system, uh, in which I spent um, 10 months five years ago, um, I can say that the an alternative of simply returning the entire process to, to that very bureaucratised uh, governmental health system is no alternative at all. What we need is a, a genuine um, disability-based NDIS based on the community, run by people with disability and actually um, uh, serving their needs rather than being driven to maximise profit or indeed reduce cost for the government. Oh, thanks, uh, Graham. You you have sort of um, touched on the next question I was going to ask, but I wanted to mention the fact that you know we know there are millions of people with disability who are from a non-English speaking background, and many underuse disability services. I mean, I, I imagine there'd be translators to help. Um, but uh, the question was, what are some of the areas and solutions that could provide NDIS in actually serving people's needs? I think if we look at it um, holistically and from a bird's eye view, the biggest issue with NDIS and indeed government funding of, um, of so much uh, funding for, to support 
uh, people in their daily lives is that it's rationed. Uh, the government um, doles it out with a teaspoon um, from a very large pool of money that the uh, the government collects from taxes from you and I and from uh, corporations and through other means and so forth. Um, but the, the government doles out uh, support for uh, people with disability, whether it's the disability support pension, um, whether it's um, uh, the, the, the dole or indeed um, NDIS with a with an eyedropper or with a with a, with a teaspoon. Um, at the same time, they give massive um, uh, massive subsidies to, to to gas companies to uh, to really to wreck our environment mm-hmm. and um, you know destroy the the. the the, the possibilities of a transition, of a just transition to a, a renewable future. So the government um, will argue that, um, and it certainly will argue very strenuously in the run-up to the next federal election uh, next year, that NDIS is completely unsupportable, that it is outstripped its expectations of, um, of cost and so forth and needs to be severely reined back. Um, now, that's essentially code for... These people don't vote for the LNP. Uh, we get no votes out of this, so we're going to smash the, uh, the the amount of funding the government provides to NDIS and show our big business and um, uh, 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 LNP base that um, that we're tough. Uh, we're tough economic managers, and we can make the uh, the, the decisions to really to uh, cut funding uh, to cut this massive budget deficit where necessary. Now, without touching on the issue of um, whether a budget deficit in and of itself is such a bad thing, um, certainly people who are eligible for NDIS or indeed people with a disability more broadly um, are some of the most disadvantaged uh, in this society. As you point out, Chloe, many mm-hmm. people with, um, who live with a disability uh, are from a non-English speaking background and the NDIS system itself is intensely bureaucratic. Um, albeit that there may be translators provided and so forth, uh, it's nevertheless um, it's an enormous uh, hill for people who have to climb, in many cases either on their own or just with the support of their immediate family. Um, there are charitable organisations which help, but they are generally underfunded and um, in, in many cases uh, people may not know that they actually exist. The broader perspective from a socialist point of view uh, is that um, funding on for things like disability support, um, indeed support for people in all kinds of areas, should not be capped, should not be um, restricted. It should be open and based on need. Um, and Socialist Alliance also believes in moving away from what we call a medicalised model of NDIS, uh, where you need to have you know, a doctor or indeed a specialist saying, yes, you are disabled uh, because of X, Y, Z, A, B, C, um, and rather basing it on a, a self-needs uh, assessment. Now, some may say, oh, that means that people will um, simply claim things they don't need. Mm. Well, let me tell you, I rely very heavily uh, on my carers, personal care, uh, in order to get to, for instance, um, uh, doctor's appointments or to... to uh, exercise, um, or indeed to make me lunch of an afternoon and so forth. Now, when I was able-bodied, the thought would never have crossed my mind to have some random person hang around my house, house and help me with things that I was 
more than able to do myself. So I think this argument that um, people will um, uh, claim uh, funds from the government purse that they don't need unless it's strictly rationed and um, uh, restricted um, is simply a furphy and is in fact um, quite um, disingenuous and uh, deeply offensive, I think, to those with disability. Hmm. And I guess um, I want to kind of take... Because we've had a very good kind of discussion about... um, about, the NDIS, and I guess I want to kind of take some of this into, I guess, a broader discussion beyond NDIS, and I guess I want to start to hear some of your kind of comments, I guess, on some of the contemporary issues that are affecting people with disabilities today, like, for example, you know, the impacts of, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic that we're kind of all currently kind of living through, but of course, everyone is experiencing it kind of differently. So, yeah, I guess I want to kind of hear your kind of perspective on some of those issues. Certainly. Um there is an argument which I support that disability is essentially a, a social construct. So it's not, um, in that sense, a medical issue. It's not an issue with um, one's physical um, problems or indeed one's uh, social or cognitive problems. It's a social issue. Uh, it's attempting. It's it's people who uh, need to struggle to be um, to to find their place in society. Um, not for any fault of their own, but through the barriers that society puts up. Now, if persons with disability live with that um, that difficulty uh, throughout their lives, uh, the, the COVID pandemic has certainly multiplied that many times. Um, we talk about lockdown, and certainly there's been um, uh, a lot of um, quite... Um, angry protests around uh, issues surrounding lockdown, uh, both in Melbourne but also in Sydney um, over the last over the last year in particular, and we've seen it internationally. Excuse me, and people saying they just want to get government out, out of their lives and just be able to, to get on with their lives, et cetera, et cetera. Well, multiply multiply that 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 that, that sense of concern and that sense of being sort of shut out. Um, for persons with disability, because it's um, in, in many cases, people with disability also suffer from some form of immunosuppression. Uh, they're far more um, susceptible, uh, should they uh, contract COVID-19, to getting um, an extremely bad uh, case of it and uh, uh, suffering quite significantly and even, even it causing death. And certainly uh, in Europe and elsewhere, um, a disproportionate number of those who've died from COVID-19 have been people living with disability. So, but fundamentally, the impact on people with disability from COVID has been to shut us in even further. In many cases, we live our entire lives relatively shut in, confined to the um, confined to the house, um, or in some cases, even just our room. Um, and COVID-19 has made that even more difficult, I think, for, for many people living with disability. And I'd just like to offer my sincere and deepest solidarity to everybody who is living with disability um, on this International Day of People with Disability. Thanks. Thanks, Graham. Um, uh, Graham, and also listeners might remember the case of a six-year-old child who was born here in Australia who is ineligible to access funding under the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Um, There was a 
There was an article written about it in Green Left by Janet Parker titled Disdain for Disability Added to the list of crimes against refugees and this little boy named Kayan has cerebral palsy and the government is denying him and his parents permanent residency they're trying to deport them uh, because they think he's a burden on the community and you know now his family have been forced to spend more than $40,000 on legal and immigration fees and you know there are at least 15 families every year who face dep- deportation because of a relatives' disability, um, you know, because of our racist migration laws, which are exempt from the Disability Discrimination Act um, of 1992. Um, I just wanted to, you know, um, bring bring that up. But, but Graham, as a Socialist Alliance spokesperson for disability rights, what's your perspective on how capitalism fails to support the needs of people with disabilities? I mean, how... Would a socialist society serve the interests as an alternative? It's a very good question. Look, and I'm um, deeply concerned about the uh, the situation of Cayenne. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. uh, all people with disability, particularly those who um, are threatened with deportation, um, and it really um, it does show the the, the extreme nastiness. Um, there's no evidence that, for instance, uh, uh, the Labor Party would take any different attitude to. Um, um, a, uh, a, a refugee with disability and would um, similarly try to hunt them out of the country uh, on the basis of the, the burden that they placed on uh, the, the Australian economy um, and just how absolutely um, outrageous that position is. As I said um, earlier, from a, from a socialist point of view, the, the biggest issue with, uh, with disability funding is it's the fact that it's rationed. Um, and... We understand in Socialist Alliance, we understand that this is an exceedingly wealthy country. Um, it's a wealthy country which has um, been made wealthy through exploitation, both of um, Indigenous and First Nations people within Australia, but more broadly uh, by the exploitation of, um, uh, of, of poorer countries, both in the region and, and, and internationally. Um, it's a wealth that's been built on other people's labour, sweat, labour and uh, uh, disadvantage. And it's important that we, we, we actually give that back, um, not in the sense of um, uh, stripping um, everything that is, that is good about this society from the society, but certainly providing a generosity, a generosity of spirit uh, to provide for people in need. Um, and certainly uh, there is no evidence that um, this society will somehow tip over, uh, will somehow collapse, uh, if we um, if it starts to adequately fund issues like um, uh, people suffering with disability, uh, unemployment, um, you know, frail age, uh, whatever the, the particular issue may be. So, as I said, from a from a socialist point of view, certainly in terms of NDIS, uh, we believe that NDIS was a step forward. Um, however, we would uh, recast NDIS as being uh, something which is controlled by people with disability. We would replace the current board with um, uh, people elected by um, people with disability. We would change the, the, the basis of the funding uh, to, to move away from this uh, medicalised uh, gatekeeper model to one which is self-assessed um, and make it very much... Um, uh, rather than having to 
humiliate oneself and argue in front of a planner or indeed a local area coordinator every 12 months to two years about how even though things are going okay, there's still all these things that one can't do. Uh, and moving away from that, 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 that basis of um, continual humiliation to one where the support that people with disability and their families need uh, to have a reasonable life is simply there for the asking. Rather than having to be demanded and campaigned for, uh, to be refused by NDIS bureaucrats and to have to go to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal to get justice as a situation I'm in myself, we would nevertheless have um, NDIS um, or indeed funding for people with disability uh, to support people with disability uh, as a right, not a privilege. Mm. All right. Well, um, um, we're getting probably to the end of our interview, I guess. And I guess, um, Graham, do you have, I guess, any kind of final comments you'd like to kind of end on for, for this? I guess um, the it's worthwhile noting... The, the, the government um, attempted to bring in uh, independent assessments. That was its key to, um, it argued, to um, uh, cutting the, uh, the, the out-of-control spending on NDIS uh, after a huge backlash from uh, disability advocacy organisations and even from the state governments around the country. It backed away from that. Unfortunately, it becomes quite apparent, certainly from, um, as I mentioned earlier, being a participant in NDIS can be an extremely alienating and very um, isolating uh, experience. <coughs> but social media at least partly cuts through that. And certainly from social media, um, from a number of the, um, the, the, the amputee groups that I'm on, it appears apparent that um, NDIS is, in fact, as one might say, acting out. So the government has not actually changed the legislation the government has not actually changed regulation applied to NDIS, and yet NDIS is seeking to smash uh, and severely cut the, uh, the funded supports that people with NDIS, uh, people, participants are receiving in the run-up to the federal election in order to parade itself um, as a, uh, a good economic manager. Now, it's important, I think, that um, both people with NDI, people uh, with disability and their supporters, and their su people who simply support um, a fair society in this country, be aware of this fact um, and demand from their local federal member that uh, the, the, the government continue to uh, pay reasonable supports to people with NDIS. I think it's important people are aware of this issue uh, because this will be a big issue, certainly for those with disability, in the run-up to the federal election, and frankly, not let the bastards get away with it. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much um, for that, Graham. I think this was definitely a very um, informative interview, and I think, yeah, it was definitely a great kind of discussion to have um, for um, for our special program on the Inter um, for International Day of People with Disability. Thank you very much, Graham. Thank you so much, Graham. Oh, my pleasure, Chloe and. Um, Jacob, thank you very much. Thanks. Okay, um, so we were just having an interview with um, Graham Matthews, um, who is a participant in the NDIS, and 
also the Social Alliance spokesperson for disability rights. And so we had just a good sort of substantial kind of discussion on um, the, the nature of the NDIS and then also talking about, you know, what are the kind of alternatives, what are the solutions to improving kind of NDIS? Because, yeah, one of the, one of the kind of themes of our program this week is we were attempting to kind of unravel and critique the kind of privatised nature and corporatization of the NDIS. But, of course, as sort of Graham kind of acknowledges, um, NDIS, since the introduction of the NDIS, things ha- there have been improvements for people with disabilities, but of course there's still plenty of work to be done and um, plenty of things to be fighting for in terms, of the, in terms of the NDIS. So, yeah. Okay, so I'll just go play um, a quick announcement. Um, you are listening to Green Left um, Radio. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is 94198377. You've been listening to the sand. You could never understand. Feel the fortune flowing. You know it isn't stuck. Tune in to Grounding Disability Justice. 3CR's International Day of People with Disability broadcast. On 3rd of December, 7am to 7pm, we're making space to explore what disability justice has been and will be on these lands, with programming led by Black and Indigenous community members, in addition to programs by disabled broadcasters from the 3CR community. Visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2021. All right, you're listening to Green Left um, Radio. And as part of the International Day of People with Disability, I thought we would play a bit of a song um, featuring um, people with disabilities um, called, um, I was going to play Welcome to Four Wheel City by Four Wheel City, um, which is, uh, I think, a a hip-hop group based in the United States. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. Yo. Tired, man. Get this car to start. Yeah. Four Wheel City. All right, let's roll. Let's go. Drop the helicopters over us. They watching. They don't want us to be a part of their city, man. They pull all these steps, man. All these curves we can't get all of good, though. All these inaccessible stores. Four Wheel City. They don't want us here. Accessible bathroom, man. When you want the same thing, if it happened to you, hey, boy. 
with their cars like they saws. I watch and observe, like, excuse me, sir, can I cross the street? Can't you see I'm in the chair? Cause I can't move my feet. Why you blocking the curb? Why I can't get by? It's because you're standing up and I'm paralyzed. Am I less than you? Are you more than me? If I didn't speak up, would you have noticed me? George Bush don't want the funds themselves. We search. We see what happens when his back and his feet hurt. This is a deep verse. And that discrimination just played out. Yeah, we got limitations, but don't count us out. And if you feel them, what I'm saying, let me hear you shout. Let me roll a wheel city. You're listening to Green Left um, Radio, and um, you're listening to a kind of a special um, program on grounding disability justice, which is part of the 12-hour kind of broadcast that FreeCR is presenting um, in relation to the International Day of People with Disability, which is held on the 3rd of December, which is of which this it's this month, um, and which is in a United Nations Observed Day aimed at increasing public awareness, understanding and acceptance of people with disabilities. Now, um, as part of that program, we we're going to play a bit of a, a pre-recorded interview um, that was actually done on um, from the Thursday Breakfast program on April 22nd this year. It is a pre-recorded interview with the Disability Justice Network. Now, the Disability Justice Network is um, is a, a grassroots kind of collected 
Collective, which has um, which got recently formed this year, and it has actually basically created a national kind of mutual aid to provide support to um, marginalised disabled people. And this interview is an interview with Julia Back, and I'll probably yeah, um, who is a queer. Takatapu writer based in Nam, and then she has she joined the Thursday program, um, the Thursday Breakfast program to speak about the Disability Justice Network. So, yep, hope listeners um, enjoy. Julia Back is a queer Takatapue writer from Borlu, so called Perth, and is now based in Nam. Today, Julia joins us to speak about the Disability Justice Network. Welcome, Julia. Thanks for joining us on 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. Thank you so much for having me. So, uh, the Disability Justice Network has recently launched, um, and yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about the network? Yeah, um, so it's brand new. Um, We've had so far one kind of official meeting with um, a few of us, like a few maybe like um, 15 or so people and over the last week more and more people have been joining which is amazing and it's becoming this really incredible collective of people with really diverse experiences um, and I love that. It's, it's, it seems just so powerful already um, and it kind of just like, it, it came out of the, what we felt was an absence in so-called Australia um, of of an organisation that's specifically focused on disability justice as opposed to disability rights. Um, And we found that a lot of the resources that we were getting and a lot of the content about disability justice was coming out of Turtle Island. And so we kind of collectively were like almost waiting for a disability justice organisation to show up in so-called Australia and then at some point through like various conversations that a few of us had we were like why why not us initiating this um and that's kind of how it happened yeah I love that (laughs) So what are you hoping to achieve as a collective? What are some of the main issues that people are already raising? I guess, like, we haven't necessarily discussed specific aims or goals or, um, uh, you know, like, very specific things that we want to achieve at this stage. And I would say more broadly, um, what we all have in common is this, desire for justice for disabled people and in particularly multiply marginalised disabled people which many people in the collective if not most people in the collective are and so I think overall what we're hoping to achieve is this sense of community and this sense of support and care that we can give and ask from each other um, and how, you know, we can support the wider community. And I guess a lot of us are coming from abolitionist frameworks, so we're also thinking about ways in which we can replace or, um, you know, substitute or act alongside various systems and 
you know, government or non-for-profit organisations and how we can support people who might not be able to access those or who might choose not to. So, um, you know, a big thing for us is mutual aid. Um, and another thing that we're thinking about is organising a disability justice training that we can uh, deliver to members of the community who might not be too familiar with disability justice and the history of it, um, in addition to maybe some organisations who could benefit from a more, um, you know, justice-focused understanding of uh, the, the needs and the rights of disabled people as opposed to, you know, a more reformist approach. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And um, back to the mutual aid, I know that the network has started a mutual aid fund. So can you talk Mm -hmm. a bit about what mutual aid means to the Disability Justice Network and also what you're currently fundraising for? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm sure mutual aid as a concept means many different things to the different people in the collective. Um, But... To me, I would say it's, you know, it's a process that's rooted in abolition and anti-authoritarianism and moving away from this individualistic culture to one where we're supporting each other and, uh, you know, relying on each other and asking for help from each other and giving help to each other as opposed to... um, relying on either, you know, government organisations or systems or, like, uh, healthcare uh, more broadly, you know, like hospitals and such. Um, oh, and I guess the other important thing to note is that um, mutual aid, you know, like, it's not charity and it's not based in kind of, like, this, this dynamic where, um, you know, one person is, giving and one person is taking and there's power there and uh, and there's like a, a power imbalance I think a lot of the time with, with like the charity model of providing care um, and in contrast mutual aid is, is about us supporting each other on kind of a level playing ground and making sure people have what they need um, and you know people who are able to provide those things doing so and us all kind of moving away from, um, yeah, depending on systems and structures that don't seem to care about us or aren't necessarily designed for us or that, you know, people don't want to engage with for various reasons. Um, And the mutual aid fundraiser that we started initially, it was started to raise money for an Aboriginal person in the community who required um, very urgent medical care. And then we figured, why not just keep it going? Um, There was, you know, another uh, young person who we saw on Twitter was asking for money um, to afford their medication. And we were like, you know, this person also needs help. Let's give them some of this money too. And we've, now raised, I think, almost $5,000 in, like, five days. And all of that money we can... Yeah, it's so incredible. Um, And, yeah, all of that money we can now 
distribute to various yeah mutual aid um, requests that people have, like people people's GoFundMe's or um, you know people asking for money with various things on social media, um, and we have this yeah currently this like backlog of money that we can use to support our community and. And that's basically it. Like it's just this this way that that we can show and demonstrate, you know, collective care within within the disabled community and, and like um, you know, the wider communities. And um, I do really like that it's also a national mutual aid fund. Um, and yeah, listeners, if you want to go to GoFundMe, um, just type in Disability Justice Network Mutual Aid Fund. And yeah, the fundraiser is currently sitting at $4,925 and the aim is for 10000 So yeah, definitely chip in if you can. Um, and how can people keep up to date with the Disability Justice Network? Because we're brand new, we, um, we're still kind of working out you know, what we want our, I guess, like our guiding principles to be. Um, And with that, we're trying to figure out a way in which we can uh, represent ourselves online and engage in social media that is really intentional but also really sustainable for us. So I think it's going to... I think it's going to be um, probably in the next meeting that we discuss that, and then after that, I reckon will likely be on um, Instagram just because it's a pretty accessible network for a lot of people and um, posting updates through there and probably on Twitter as well. Um, But, yeah, for now, uh, we don't have a whole heap of social media and you'll likely find out about uh, new initiatives in the meantime just kind of through individual members of the collective sharing within their various networks and communities. Um, but definitely stay tuned because we will, we will make sure that it is um, something that can be easily accessed. We just need to, yeah, work out some of the kinks and, and figure out a way that we can do it that, um, that makes sense to us, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for now, listeners, definitely just go and check out that GoFundMe because I'm sure that the network will post updates um, on the GoFundMe fundraiser as well. Thank you so much, Julia, for joining us this morning to speak about the Disability Justice Network. No worries at all. Thank you so much for having me. All right, you are listening to Green Left um, Radio, and um, just as part, and we're just listening to an interview with um, with Julia Buck um, from the Disability Justice uh, Network, and that was an interview that was um, recorded on um, in April um, this year, and. Um, just to um, give a bit of plug, um, the Disability Justice Network is um, still active and they're still maintaining their mutual aid fund. And you can go to it. If you search the Disability Justice Network, um, go fund me or um, you, you should be able to find it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, and you can even search Disability Justice Network on Facebook and I'm pretty sure they have a Facebook group as well. So um, I thought maybe just for the next um, part of the program, we'd play uh, a bit of um, some um, songs um, featuring people of, with disabilities. Um, and I was going to play the song 
Rights, Not Charity, um, um, which is the Karen Cheddar by the Karen Cheddar Band. And in fact, I actually really like the title of that song. It's actually quite relevant um, to some of the discussion we've actually been having uh, about NDIS and, and etc. So, yeah, I will go play the song for the next one minute and 22 minutes, 22 seconds. To make money for me And every November you're on the TV Having fun while your voice loses sincerity While you're pleasing with the viewers Do be generously But, but we, we want rights, not charity We want rights, want rights, not charity Rights, 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 not charity Cos charity keeps me where you think I should be We got rid of girls with calibers And holding their head Now if you give a pound you get badges instead We'll take your gold hearts and just go up to bed Cos we need your little badges like a hole in the head Cause we want rights, not charity We want rights, want rights, not charity Rights, 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 not charity Cause charity makes me want to think I should be We raise lots of cash for hopeless cases We're very genuine in what we do You get your kicks performing in a charity band Singing Beatles songs, you feel you're lending a hand And your condescending concerts are in constant demand And all it proved to me is that you don't understand We want rights, not charity We want rights, want rights, not charity Rights, 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 not charity So take your kids, all of charity All right, just wait a minute To make money for me And every November you're on the TV Having fun while your voice loses sincerity While you're pleasing with the viewers Do you generously But, but we, we want rights, not charity We want rights, want rights, not charity Rights, 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 not charity Cause charity keeps me where you think I should be We got rid of girls with calibers And holding their head Now if you give a pound you get badges instead We'll take your golden hearts and just go up to bed Cause we need your little badges like a hole in the head Cause we want rights, not charity We want rights, want rights, not charity Rights, 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 not charity Cause charity makes me want to think I should be We raise lots of cash for hopeless cases We're very genuine in what we do you get your kicks performing in a charity band Singing Beatles songs you feel you're lending a hand And your condescending concerts are in constant demand And all it proved to me is that you don't understand We want rights, not charity We want rights, want rights, not charity Rights, 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 not charity So take it, take Alright, you're listening to Green Left um, Radio and that we were just listening to Rights Not Charity by the Karen Cheddar Band. Um, we sort of just had made a bit of a mistake and accidentally played it twice, but apologies for that, listeners. I uh, hope you enjoyed it anyway. And um, we, we're going to, we're getting kind of to the last kind of seven minutes of the program. So we thought we would use the kind of opportunity to kind of make a bit of a kind of an, a few announcements. I think Chloe wanted to give a bit of a plug to this um, short kind of documentary film that I think you can actually watch on ABC. So now we'll pass on to Chloe. Oh, I, I think it's not on ABC iView anymore, but I'll, I can direct listeners to how to get to it. I just wanted to plug this really good film. It's called Leaving Alan Street, and it was created by Katrina Channels, uh, who is also part of Green Left, and Bridget O'Shea. 
And it's this Leaving Allen Street is a feature length documentary and it follows 30 adults living with intellectual disabilities and it documents their experiences they move out of an institution and into public housing after years of living this institutionalized life and it you know it shows how they move out and discover what it feels like to be free and have choice and, and independence and um yeah even though these institutions had provided high levels of support um it also prevented meaningful connections with the outside world so it really really um revealed how our basic freedoms such as you know just going outside to a shop or walking through a park um, visiting friends and family these basic freedoms are denied to people in institutions um uh, like the oakley center which is um which was the place that they were in and there was this proposal to build new homes in the community and move people out into their own new homes but this was taking over a decade um most of these institutions by the way have been knocked down and replaced with community housing um and so i would recommend people watch this film it highlights how important it is that every individual be granted the same basic human rights no matter who you are um it was released in the cinema in January this year and it was on ABC iview but now you can rent the documentary on Vimeo on OCC on occonnections.org but we'll we'll put a link on the um 3CR breakfast podcast page so people can access it all right. Well, thank you very much for that, Chloe. And um, I think we'll go to we're going to kind of announce um, what's coming up um, for the um, for the um, the rest of the broadcast that FreeCR is going to be broadcasting as part of their twelve hour um, broadcast for um, the special International Day of Disability um, program, um, which the theme that FreeCR is going with was is grounding disability justice. Now, but before that, I would like to just do a bit of a quick sort of green left kind of activist calendar, and I will only just announce a few sort of events um, won't cover everything in the green left access calendar but I want to note that um, there is actually going to be a rally today at 1 p.m um, outside the state library and it's basically a rally called by um, indigenous activists um, around stop de- stopping black deaths in custody there's actually been a number of um, recent deaths in custody and so these these um, pro- these protests has been called in response to that mm. and then on Saturday the um, 12pm, there's going to be the second um, Stop the Far Right protest by Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, which is a bit of a a left-wing mobilisation in response to this right-wing anti-vaccination freedom movement, which has elements of the far right involved. Um, So that's going to be an important rally at 12pm at um, the eight-hour monument um, on Saturday. And then at 3pm, I think it's at the State Library, at 3pm at the State Library, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a rally organised by the Sudanese community in solidarity with um, Sudan. So that's going to be happening at 3pm. And, yeah, I think that's... Uh, maybe I- just advertise the Friday vigil um, for yeah. Human Rights Day um, uh, for refugee rights, which is going to be Friday the 10th of December at 6.30pm outside the Park Hotel where around 38 or maybe even 40 refugees... Um, remain detained, um, held as hostages. So we'll be, it'll be a sombre event, but yeah, I recommend people get down there um, and yeah, hear um, from refugees who have been released, but also from the refugees who are still trapped inside Park Hotel. All right. And so- that's, um, sorry, that's organised by the Refugee Action Collective along with other um, 
refugee-led organisations as well. Yeah. So um, I'll just get to spend um, the last bit of the program just advertising what we have coming up. Um, maybe, Chloe, you have the, do you have the sing coming up? Yeah, we've yep. got Earth Matters coming up. No, we don't. Oh, do we? Isn't it 8 verge of, isn't 8 verge 9.20 a.m.? We have the Manifesto for Rest and... Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, the, the Manifesto for Rest and Survival. And this is a sick form, a black yarn, crisp space, deep place. Um, Eleanor explores disability justice and its meaning when grounded in Indigenous ways of knowing, a decolonial um, approach to disability and the collective networks of rest, care and resistance that underpin it. Also featuring Tabitha Lean and music by E. Fishpool and Alice Skye. Yeah. And then from 9.20 to 9.45 a.m., there's going to be um, Growing Up Jan in Australia, which is... um with the program description is spend some time with Jane Rosengrave, Yota Yota. Jane talks about the intersection of ableism and racism against blackfellas, um, surviving and thriving after violent institutions, strength in culture and self-advocacy, and Jane's chapter in the highly acclaimed ethology, Growing Up Disabled in Australia. And then um, from 9.45am to um, to 10.30am, there's going to be the mob dreaming up, yarning sick, um, disabled realities. And it's, of course, the program description is disabled and ill mob yarn on the realities of illness and disability within the colony. And, yeah, I think that's probably all I actually have, um, I think, time for kind of now. But, uh, yeah, I hope um, our listeners enjoy the rest of the special um, broadcast on grounding disability justice, um, which will be going on for 12 hours um, this um, from this morning, from 7 a.m. And, yeah, I'd like to thank all our listeners um, and our guests um, for being part of the program. Um, and, yeah, stay tuned for um, stay tuned for what we have coming up next, which is um, going to be the Manifesto for Rest and Survival on... On resistance and the power of collective and indigenous core to disability justice. All right. Thanks for listening. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise you workers from the slumbers, arise you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions, serve all masses, arise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the commies are back. Reds underneath your beds and that...